My name is uh, Brian Jones. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here. I'm really, really glad you're here. And I just want you to know, if you don't hear it enough, we want you to come back. We want you to be a part of our church. You're sitting next to some amazing people. And I believe God's plan for you is the best years of your life are ahead of you. And uh, together we're discovering that. I want to start out by having you do me a favor, okay? I want you to reach down and take off one of your shoes right now. Go ahead. Do that. Do that. Take off one of your shoes, and then I want you to hand that to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them how much you paid for the shoes you're wearing right now. Can you do that? Do that real fast. I see you. He's not doing it. Okay. We need, uh, we need the ushers to bring in some Febreze. <laughs> Seriously, how much did you pay for your shoes that you're wearing today? Two months ago, someone started an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. And uh, what they did is they began taking pictures of famous television evangelists not of them, but of their shoes. And then what they did is they looked up online how much that television evangelist paid for their shoes, spliced the pictures together, and then posted it on the account. For instance, here's one famous television evangelist. He's wearing $5,600 Yeezys. $5,600 Yeezys. Here's another one wearing $1,000 Retro Jordan. Well, this account went viral in a matter of weeks, and it was featured even on the New York Times. And the first time I heard about it, I was with Dan Reichel, uh and Frank Chaparino, two of our pastors. We were in our teaching team meeting, and they're talking about something, and I'm on this account just laughing, and I showed them. I said, hey, you need to look at this. So they looked at this, and Dan's first reaction, he's, and I, I quote him here, he looked at me and said, you, my friend, will never have to worry about being featured on this account. Oh, it continues. It continues. He said, and I quote, the only way you're going to be featured on an Instagram account is if someone wants to expose pastors who buy all their clothes on the discount rack at Kohl's. So, and he said that, I was like, that's a compliment. No, you're slamming me. You're you're saying that I don't have any fashion sense. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a poll today. Here, we're going to take a poll. Raise your hand, hold it up high, if you don't think I have any fashion sense. Go ahead. <laughs> hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. If you're new here. These are the ugly people right here. These are the ugly people. Come on. It's true, I, I don't have any fashion sense, and I'm actually as cheap as they come. In fact, the next day, I put my, my sneaker up on the desk and snapped a picture and put it on social media, and I told preachers and sneakers, come at me, bro, here it is, $40 Asics, Amazon Prime, and they're stinky, take that. Now, I don't want to throw stones at these celebrity pastors like the guy wearing the $5,600 Yeezys. He's good friends with Oprah. He's on his, Oprah's channel. He interviews celebrities all the time, and someone gave him the shoes. 
if you gave me $5,600 Yeezys, probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't wear them either. If you gave me tickets on Tuesday to the Sixers game, if you're a Christian, you want to go to heaven, you want to give me those tickets? Oh, I'll take those tickets. I'll take those tickets. Well, regardless, is the one thing we do know, there are religious charlatans out there. No one's doubting that. Just like there were religious charlatans in Jesus' day. Uh, if you're brand new here today, what we're doing is we're finishing. This is like the, 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 the final day of a series where we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been calling this series of teachings uh, Via Crucis, which is Latin for the way of the cross. And we've been following Jesus from Galilee, his base of operations and ministry, to Golgotha. We've been asking ourselves, who is this Jesus, and what can we learn from them? Now, what we know is that when Jesus on Palm Sunday went into Jerusalem on a donkey, the crowds were screaming. Everyone expected him to go in and clean house in Jerusalem, and rightly so. The Romans were in charge, and the chief priest and the elders in the city ran it, and they were lining their pockets with God's money. Now, we know this because Matthew tells us right before Jesus is crucified, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, not during the Passover, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Now, who are these chief priests and who are the elders of the people? Look behind me at this map here. This is a map of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' time. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, he went and cleansed the temple, got rid of the money changers, kicked their tables over. That was here. Now, the people that worked here, the chief priests and the high priests, they had to live somewhere in the city. And they lived in the upper city, which is right next to Herod's palace. And so they are close to political power. And I want you to look at the size of their homes. The day laborers that provided the practical needs of the people in the temple, they lived in the lower city. Look at the size of their homes. What were the chief priests and the business owners protecting? They were protecting the cash cow. That's what they were protecting. And they knew that if Jesus came in and cleaned house, they were going to be out of jobs. And so they got Jesus killed. But we learn that there was one businessman, uh, an elder of the people, an influential person of the Sanhedrin, which was a major court in Jerusalem, who was a disciple of Jesus, and he was not a sellout. In fact, it says this, his name was Joseph, and he was from a town about an hour north of Jerusalem called Arimathea, a little village. But he came during the, during the Passover to Jerusalem because he had business there. And it says, at evening, verse 57 of Matthew, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Matthew tells us that Jesus died at 3 in the afternoon. The Jews celebrated Passover, or I'm sorry, the Sabbath, 
on Friday, which means it started at sundown, which meant if he died at 3 o'clock, if they were going to get him down from the cross and bury him, they were going to have to do it quick. The Romans, if they crucified you, they left you up there, your body rotted, and animals came and ate you. But the Jews, as a matter of honor, would never do that. And so it says that Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled, and this is presumably with his employees, as well as, we learn in the Gospel of John, there was another elder of the people, a priest. His name was Nicodemus from John chapter 3. All of them together go and push this big stone in front of the tomb. Now, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a cloth, rolled a stone stone in front of the tomb, and then Matthew adds, and you read this, and you're like, what? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought all the disciples left. In fact, just a couple verses earlier, it says, at the cross where Jesus died, many women, not one or two, think of a large group of women. Think of your women's Bible study, 15, 20, 25 women. They were there at the cross watching him being crucified from a distance, risking being crucified themselves. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Lots of women, a whole group of them. This is shocking because when Jesus entered Jerusalem... At the first sign of trouble, his male disciples booked it. We're told, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. But not the women. He wasn't alone. We're like, I thought he was alone this whole... No, he wasn't alone. There was a whole group of women there. When I read the story, I thought it was two to three women. No, it was 15, 20, 25 women. All there. Many women were there watching from a distance. Now... We learn that the women were there, not just when Jesus was crucified, but when Joseph went with Nicodemus, pulling Jesus' body off of the cross, dislodging his wrists, dislodging his ankles, and putting them on a clean cloth, putting them in a tomb, those women were there watching the entire time. Where were the male disciples? They were huddling, scared in a room in Jerusalem somewhere. Now, every woman right now in this room is thinking, men hiding in a room, women bravely watching it. Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) Matthew fast-forwards to Saturday afternoon. It says the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, and they're like, this deal's not done. I know he's dead, but man, I know that the word can get out. He said one time, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said... After three days, I'll rise again. We're like, no, it's no big deal. Why? What the, 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 the chief priests and the Pharisees, we just skim right over that. We don't realize, if you're in the first century, Pharisees hate the chief priests. The chief priests were crooks. The Pharisees were devout religious people. Hearing this news that the Pharisees got together with the chief priests to conspire to create a lie and to secure the tomb, 
ought to strike us about as odd as President Trump calling up Democratic Socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and saying, hey, want to do karaoke tonight? Let's hang out. It's just not happening. It's not happening. But as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the only person the Pharisees and the chief priests hated more than each other was Jesus. And so they asked Pilate, sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he had been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. How does, how does Pilate respond? He's like, okay. Take a guard, Pilate answered. And great uh, New Testament scholar Craig Keener says that more than likely what Pilate gave him was a squad of four soldiers that would take turns every three hours guarding the tomb. These were soldiers that would, were trained whatever assignment you're given. If you desert or even if you fail, you better be dead. Because if you're not dead and you have deserted them, we will kill you, we will torture you, and we will banish you away from your family. So they seal the tomb, they set up the guard, and then Matthew fast forwards to Sunday morning. And some disciples show up at the tomb. Which group of disciples do you think shows up at the tomb? The male disciples? Did they come to their senses? We need to go to the tomb? Of course not. Matthew says that Sabbath at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and then their whole group of them coming behind them went out to the tomb. We're just not going to leave them alone. We have not deserted them up to this point. We're not going to leave them alone today. Well, right before they showed up, the fireworks happened. There was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were wet as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men, which is Matthew's way of saying how ironic the very people who were meant to guard the corpse became in the original Greek like corpses themselves, like they had been tased, they're laying on the ground, they've urinated all over themselves, and they're completely shaking. And then the women show up, and the angel says to the women, hey, come here, what I want you to do, just tiptoe over those guys, just step over these guys. And they're like, they're, they're going to kill us. And it's like, trust me, trust me, they're not getting up. Stepping over them, I want you to come and I want you to look in the tomb. And they looked in the tomb and they were like, oh my gosh, he's not here. He said he wasn't here. And the, angels looked at, the angel looked at him and said, listen, he's not here, he's risen. Come and see the place and now go quickly tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you. And so they take off. It says the women hurried away from the tomb and they were filled with joy but fear. Joy and fear. Let me just pause and say, many of you who haven't committed yourself to be a disciple of Jesus yet, you know what that feeling is right now. God's Spirit is around you and filling you and touching you. You're like, I'm being drawn to something. But man, I have questions and doubts. And even if I did become a follower of Jesus, what I, I just I want to do it and I want to stick. I don't want to be the kind of person that doesn't... 
fear and joy mixed together. Well, the women take off running through the streets of Jerusalem. Streets are completely empty. They're running through the streets. They're snaking through these little corridors. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's just one little maze after another of these little things. And I love what Matthew says. Suddenly, they turned a corner and Jesus met them. And in the original Greek, there's, it's only one word. He's like, hey. That's it. Hey. And they see him. And just like those, I tell you what, I'm a sucker for any time someone shares on social media those um, videos of some hero coming back from military service. And they're at the airport or they're in the middle of a ball field and their loved one sees them and they run towards each other. And that's what's happening with the women. They're touching his face and his body and they're weeping and freaking out and cheering and yelling, Hosanna, Hosheyana, as we talked about. Lord, say, this is it. He did it. And then suddenly it went still. And then they all got down on their faces, holding his feet, and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Matthew then shares from Jesus some of the most heartfelt, touching words in the entire Bible. He looks at them and says, don't be afraid, but will you do something for me? Go tell my brothers that I want to see him in Galilee. My brothers. Not the cowards, not the deserters, not the people. My brothers. Will you go find my brothers? What an act of grace, of forgiveness, of second chances. The whole time we've been tracing Jesus' journey from Galilee to Golgotha, we've been asking the question, who is this? We're taught so many different things about Jesus in the popular culture. But what does the Bible say? There are some of you here, you already know him. In a moment, we're going to be given a chance to worship him as the resurrected God that he is. But there are a number here, like I used to be, like the male disciples. You have this picture in your mind that Jesus is angry with you for what you've done. Like he's mad. If I can speak for Jesus, if you permit me to do that, Jesus, I know, would say, listen, the reason I went to the cross and died is because I know you've messed up. When I look at you, I look through the eyes of love. You're my brother. You're my sister. I went to the cross 2,000 years ago, a guy that died on the cross to bring you with me forever to heaven. See, here's the thing. I don't know if you know this. Just believing in Jesus is not enough. Like, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's cool. It's a cool story. I believe that. That's not enough to spend eternity with him in heaven. Just attending church is not enough. There, you, we, we will be surprised how many regular church attenders don't actually go to heaven. Matthew ends his gospel by saying that the reason Jesus went and died on the cross was so that the payment of our sin, that transaction from the cross, will be applied to our account. 
The account as it stands right now for many is guilty, as charged. But when we apply what Jesus did on the cross to our account, it changes from guilty to forgiven. And the way that happens is three things. First, we're told to believe. We need to believe that this is true. Second, we're told to repent, to be remorseful, to tell God, I am utterly sorry for what I've done. And the last thing we're told is to be baptized. The last thing that Jesus says in the entire Gospel of Matthew is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to have a baptism service. You believe, you repent, and you're baptism. You're baptized. And baptism is not just sprinkling with water when you're an infant. Most people in this area have had that happen in the church that they grew up. And that's an important thing that your parents and grandparents did for you. They laid that foundation for you. But baptism in the Bible was meant to be immersion underwater for an older child or an adult. And that symbolizes coming up out of a tomb. So for those of you who are willing to become a disciple of Jesus right now, you must believe, you must repent, and you must be baptized. And so it's Easter. What better day than today to get baptized? You know what Jesus did for you. You know what he went through, and he simply says, if you want to be my disciple, believe, repent, and be baptized. And so in a moment, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk over to the corner in the hallway. We have changing rooms. We're going to give you a t-shirt. We're going to give you shorts and a towel. And you're going to take off your $5,600 Yeezys. You're going to set them down. And you're going to change, and then you're coming to water. Dan should be in the water. Is Dan over there, one of our pastors? Kind of wave to Dan and say, Dan, get some lonely. Here's the thing. I just want to let you know. A lesser lesser known seeker is when you're in that water, you don't see everyone, which is great news for introverts like me, right? Not not everybody's going to see you. It's a very closed area. But I want you to think right now about everything you've ever done, all of the things that we're ashamed of, that we wish we could go back and wipe clean. Today's the day where that can happen for you. And so he just simply says, come, be my disciple. Believe, repent, be baptized. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a worship song. And for those of you who are ready, I want you to meet me over right now to the, to the corner and we'll do the baptism service. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.